It is a blessing to be here with you today. Uh, I tell you, your pastor loves to talk about you. And he is so excited about what God is doing here in and through your lives. I, I just had to come and see you. And, uh, and it has been wonderful to meet you and to feel some of the enthusiasm that you have for the Lord. Not only for the Lord in your own life, but in the Lord as he reaches out through you into lives of people around you and touching lives here in Owasa and Tulsa and beyond. And, and I want to thank you. I want to thank you on behalf of some of those uh, missionaries that are in the high mountains, the Himalayas up there, or people in Central Asia, places of Central Asia, or in uh, the middle of the deserts of Africa, uh, or all through the Muslim world, because... As you pray, God empowers them uh, through you, using your prayers. Uh, the Lord has a, has a special place for the prayers of the saints. If you read Revelation chapter 5 and you go down there and you'll see that there's a bowl there right before the throne of God where the prayers of the saints come as he prepares to redeem the nations. And so as you do that, as you pray, as you, as you pray for God's kingdom to come around the world, and as we, we sing and we worship on that, you know, God's might is, is shown. And so you have a very real place in that, and thank you for that. And as you take of what God has given you bountifully, and you say, Lord, I want that to be multiplied around the world, you financially support those that go out, and, and thanks. Uh, I know you give it to the Lord, but... As one who, uh, I not only am a missionary, I have uh, two missionary children and uh, they're in different places around the world and I'm glad that we as Southern Baptists can support them as they, they do their work and uh, over 3,000 others. And we're hoping to add 500 more over, between now and 2025. And so uh, we, we're just asking that you pray about... Uh, extending yourself a little further for the kingdom. Because you see, there's some big realities in the world. Um, there's 7.5 billion people on the planet. Now, well, you and I get the privilege of living in the most populous century in history. When all people are made in the very image of God, even though every one of us feel just the pervasive mar of sin in our life, and we all know we need a Savior. And so many of them have no chance to hear. And so we've got to find ways to do exceedingly better than we have done in the past to get that word out. And so we want to be part of that. And you, we are an extension of you. We're your international uh, work as you go around the world. So we just want you to be involved in that. But the thing that drives my heart most days is when I get up and I look at a number our, our research department has just taken all the, the population statistics and looked at where people are believing, where there are believers. And then they've sort of boiled it down, and then they've looked at, at how many people um, pass away every day. And one of the sobering facts that stares me, every stares me in the eye every morning is that every 24 hours, 155,000 252 people walk into a Christless eternity. That breaks my heart. 
because we know where life is found. It's in relationship with Christ. And without Christ, that's not life. So we're driven with the fact that we have been given the good news. And we're driven to, to change that number. And we want to change that number. And we want to see that number change because men and women, boys and girls around the world, they need to know Jesus. So today, uh, I want us to, to look at something very important. So I hope you have your Bibles, and I trust you do. And if you either turn to or tap to or whatever you do to get to that place, go to John 17. Because, you know, right there in the middle, this is the, in the middle of the big picture of history. You know, we've been singing, God breathed this world into existence. He breathed us into existence, and we're fallen. We've just been singing about all of that. And then man rebelled, and, and God has found a way to bring us back to him. And right there in the center of history, Christ came. And this day, we want to look at what he says on the most important weekend in history. Right there, there, right before everything happens and what he says to us there. And then we want to look at that as it, it relates to different places around the world. And we want to ask ourselves a question. Lord Jesus, uh, when I stand before you, what part do you want me to play in changing the world in which I live? That's all of our question. You know, there, uh, one of the places that we know about this is in Matthew 25, when he's getting ready to talk about the judgment at the end. He talks about the ten talents, the five talents, and the one talent. And, and he, he wants people who take what he's given and trade it for him and use it for him. Put it out there, risk it for him, because there's fruit in the risk. Uh, ten talents and five talents. And what did he say to them? These are the very words we want to hear. And this is why you need to ask this question. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. So let's hear what the Lord Jesus has to say about all of those things as he's praying right before he goes into that weekend when he dies and he ends the weekend in resurrection. So as you get your Bibles, look with me. Put your fingers there in the beginning. It said, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes into heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. The weekend is here. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you since you have given him all authority over all flesh to give eternal life to whom you have given to him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, who you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth and having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in the presence with glory that I had with you before the world existed. Mm. I have manifested your name to the people you have given, gave me out of this world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know everything that you have given me is from you. And I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and they have come to know that in the truth that I came from you and that they have believed that you have sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not only praying for 
And I am not praying for the world, but I'm praying for those that you gave me, for they are yours. All mine is yours, and all yours is mine, and I will glorify them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them, keep them in your name, which you have given me that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which has been given. I guarded them, and, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one, that they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is the truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may be sanctified in the truth. I do not ask this for these only, but I ask these. But I also ask for those who will believe in me through their word. It keeps on going a little further, but that's where we're going to stop for a moment. One of the most powerful things. You ever thought about the fact that at this moment you actually heard Jesus' words that he was pouring out of his heart to the Father. We got to go in the private prayer closet of Jesus as he was lifting up to him. And we have been given the privilege, the privilege to be his children. And the privilege, with that privilege, he has given us a responsibility to go out to the world. And in the midst of that responsibility, he is going to come back and check up on how we have taken that. And he's asked us to take that with a very deep sense of honor and joy. So right here at the beginning, we find one of the most uh, important weekends, as he said, my hours come. It's a, it's a great day. I mean, if you're from Louisiana, you probably think that this is one of the most important weekends in the history of football, at least. Uh, but uh, this weekend was the most important weekend in all of history. This is a weekend when, when, the, when the, the rage of Satan and his hordes were rallying against the church, against people wanting to drag everyone, as, as in Hebrews said, into death because Satan only has death. And Jesus came and unlike any other God, he suffered just the very fate that he needed to save us from and died and came out victorious. So this weekend was a mighty weekend and it's at the heart of our mission because right here in the middle of that mission it says this is what he came to do. He came so that those who could not know God could know God. What does he say there? He has all authority. God's given him all authority over all flesh. That includes every last one of us and every one of the 7.5 billion people on planet earth today. 
and he has given us one commission to bring life to those people. So how do you have life? You have life in knowing, in knowing God. Now, knowing God is not just simply having some facts in your head. Knowing God is coming to that place where, where knowledge of him outweighs any other thing. When you begin to know him, he draws your attention to it. You, you change. You begin to think his thoughts and move in his way. Uh, it, it, it begins as a walk of faith. But over a course of time, you begin to see this mighty God working in and through your life. And, and it really is no longer without sight because you can see it. And that faith becomes trust. Because you have something to trust. Uh, one, of the, one of the examples of how that happens happened to me on December the 26th, 1978. Because there was a young lady who decided that she had enough faith that she was going to step out sort of blindly into, uh, into marrying me. And I remember that afternoon. It was the day after Christmas, de December 26th. was in the evening. The, sh the, the light was still coming in through the Baptist church uh, windows that we were there. There was a lot of people there. My father-in-law had done probably every wedding in that town, and I was related to everybody there, too. So the place was packed. I came out up front. But then my faith started to become sight when they opened that back door. And there that lady stood. Whoa, I was in awe. You know, that's what happens to us. When we see Jesus, our eyes suddenly light up. We realize there's something important. There's something about to happen. I am going to know God himself. Just as Jenny and I have got to know our, each other. And by faith, we stepped out into this marriage. Yes, there have been times when I'm sure that she has prayed very hard that maybe the Lord might hurry me up coming to see him. Uh, <laughs> but... Uh, but in that process, we've learned each other. And now, at times, I suddenly do something. I said, why did I do that? And I realized, oh, I know, because she's thinking over there I ought to do that. Because I've learned to begin to think her thoughts. And it comes that way. And that's what it means to know God, is to move into that relationship where your thoughts in your heart and your life begin to, to merge with his. Because you see, in the very beginning, that's what he created us for. He created us to have fellowship with him. And in our rebellion, Adam brought sin into the world as they took and said, no, we would take your job, God. You're the creator, but we want to be like you. No, no. We are to be his children who he gives strength to, who come to know him and have that privilege of being intimately related to him. You see, that's where life is found. That's where all that overcomes the heart of darkness is found. That's where evil is pushed back. You see, in this passage, we realize who Jesus is. He said, take me back to the glory I had before the creation of the earth. I mean, that's not even an angel. That's God. And then he says something that we all can say. 
we can say to God, all that I have is yours. But then he says something that none of us can say. And all you have, God, is mine. You see, we can have a lot of things that belong to God, but not all. Only Jesus can say that. That tells us that he is the very exact representation of God himself in the flesh and allowing this to take the world by storm and give it life. We, we, we say we want to do evangelism because we know that that is good news. But I'm going to tell you, good news has a lot to do with the timing of its arrival. We moved to North Africa back in the early 90s. And, and uh, the man who rented us an apartment in the second place that we lived there, his name is Monsieur Bricky. And uh, Monsieur Bricky, a nice guy, um, he'd struggled, you know, he'd sort of built up and he had this uh, apartment that he built. Uh, it's, uh, it's just a two-story building and we got the upstairs. And uh, he had rented it to us. He lived in, in, in southern France and he would come back and forth to Tunisia. But one, after, one summer afternoon, I got a message from his nephew that Monsieur Bricky wanted to see me and asked me to come to his house. I knew something was up, and so I, I crossed across that town, and, and I came to his house. And when I came to his house, there was a crowd there, and I realized what I was seeing was a funeral. Monsieur Bricky was a, a Muslim, and everybody in that country, except for when we first got there, we could find about eight people in the whole country out of 10 million that had faith in Christ. And... Uh, he was standing in the middle of a crowd. Nobody was close to him. He was standing alone, and they, they took me up to him, and he grabbed my arm and held me there. At this point, I, I got into the place where I could understand a lot of Arabic. My speech was still not so good. But people would come up to him, and I, I couldn't quite figure out what was going on because they weren't coming up saying, you know, uh, we're sorry, you know, uh, you know, God is going to take care of you or uh, you can trust God or anything. No, they were coming up and saying to him that in, 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 in their uh, language, or they were saying, haram, for, for you to take your own life and not in jihad or something like that um, is a sin that is not forgivable. And they just came up, no comfort, no nothing. And he held on to me, and I could feel the weight of everything on his shoulders. And his precious daughter, Nadia, had died. She had failed the, the baccalaureate three times and felt like she had no hope, no hope of what to do. Uh, words that, and voices that echo in my heart every day and drive me forward because I hate the sound was when they picked her body up in, in the wrapping that they carried her out and I could hear her mother and her sisters crying, Nadia, Nadia, Nadia. And I walked behind with this man to the grave as he left his daughter in the ground. You, you know, at that moment, it wasn't very good news because it hadn't arrived on time there. 
It hadn't arrived on time. I, I, I want to see that change. I want to arrive on time. I want us to arrive on time for the Nadias of this world. I, I was at the edge of, of uh, Syria not too long ago, and uh, this is several years, I guess about over six years now, uh, as the war was first warming up up in that part of the world. I guess that's about 10 years now, but uh, this was six years ago. And uh, as I was there, there were people coming out, and, and we're sitting on the edge of a hill. We could look over into Syria. We're right there in, in those shift mountains. And uh, a lady came up with, had her head covered, and she was there with, uh, with her husband. And, and she wanted to have some talking with us. And all of a sudden she said, Why do you not say, Peace be upon him, when you speak of Jesus or you speak of Muhammad? Well, we said, I can tell you why we don't say peace be upon Jesus. And she said, why? You don't honor your prophet as much as we honor ours? Well, we said, there we have the problem. You see, Jesus is not a prophet. He's the prince of peace. I cannot give him something from which I have to get from him. All peace comes from him. He is the source of peace. And we began this long conversation about who Jesus is and what Jesus provides. And, and, and her eyes started opening. And her husband standing beside there, his eyes started opening. And, and that afternoon, she prayed to receive Christ. Several weeks later, she said, you know, I, I, this war has been devastating already. It's been hard. But you know what? This war has driven me out to where there were people who were ready to tell me the good news of the gospel. And that is good news because the gospel arrived on time in that place because of people like you who send people out, people like you who go out, people like you who pray for those who go out, that the good news of the gospel might arrive in those places on time in the way that people can receive it and know it and live forever. We have. A great, great opportunity. You see, right in this whole passage of Scripture, Jesus was praying. He comes on down here and he talks about something. But there is something pretty amazing in this. He said, you know, I'm coming to you and these I speak of are, are in the world that they may... What did he want for us? This is his request. That they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So in this journey, in this mission, what's he praying? He's praying that the mission be filled with joy. I go, wow, um, what is that joy? What is Jesus' joy? And, and you begin to think through Jesus' life, and, and there are many joyful things in there, but there's something else. I, I, and when I suddenly took that and I went over into Hebrews chapter 12, in those first base verses there, you, you remember it talks about that great hope that uh, is giving us some indication there. We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. I mean, all of those who've seen people who've gone on, we go to that text for assurance that we have witnesses in life after. And he says, set aside your besetting sins. Set aside everything that weighs you down. Set it off. And why do we set it off? Why? Because he said, run the race. By setting your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, who endured, who for the joy endured the shame and the cross and is now seated at the right hand. 
it, it, it's, it, the message is in the joy comes in knowing that we have victory. We're running towards victory. We're, we're moving there. And the message calls us out to go joyfully into that moment. Yeah, I was standing by a guy named Sikdriel Singh up in northwestern India. A little short guy. Uh, and, and he had gloriously come to the Lord. And this man was going out into his neighbors and he was moving around and and when he would share the gospel and somebody was interested, he would give them a recording that they could put on their phone so every day they could listen to the Bible all the way through every year. And when he would come back and they would gather together, they would be talking about what they were hearing the gospel say in those days. Some of them could read, some of them couldn't. But they had community around God's word. And they got to grow in God's word. Uh, he teaches his folks, Chris. He teaches his folks how to go into the word and to be able to explain the ten major doctrines of the church. And I'm sure all of your folks can do that too. Just straight from the word. Take the scripture and get the word in the doctrines. Uh, these are people. And they sing wondrous stories. This man is taking on a part of the world that is unreached and has not been reached. Why? Because you sent Glenn and Rhonda. Glenn, Glenn was a carpenter. He had a drinking problem. Had some problems. But came to Jesus and went through AA got over his drinking problem, and God said, I have more for you. And he went on and got some education, and uh, he went to the college at Southeastern, and there was a, a young girl who, young girl, I'm old, I'm 63, everybody under 30 is young. Um, uh, and, uh, but she had just come back, and they got married. And they have gone, and they're in this place, and they're making a difference. Because, you see, God calls people just like you and me to go to places like that for the gospel. They're supported by people praying. They're supported by people giving. They're supported by people coming alongside them. Just like you're doing down in Colombia and other places, Cambodia and other places that you go. You see, the gospel goes out on the lives of people. Uh, how do you know you're going to be successful in this? How do you know that this is going to go? What, what did Jesus say right there when he, he talks about um, that they may be sanctified in the truth? And then what did Jesus say in verse 20? In verse 20, it's an amazing verse. It says, I do not ask for them only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Whoa. Whoa. Why did you believe? Somebody told you. And who asked that that would work? The Lord Jesus himself, right before he went to the cross, conquered the grave and sin and death. He did that for you. And now he gives us the privilege of doing that with other people. There's so much that we could talk about today. God is moving around the world. But he's moving through people who get the vision. People just like me and you. Uh, I must confess, I like action movies. My wife doesn't always approve of that. She said sometimes I, I watch too much blood and gore. But I like the good guy to win. 
And um, I don't know if any of you watch Hacksaw Ridge. I didn't really know a whole lot about it before I watched it. But it's, it's about a guy who is a little different. Uh, he's from right there in Virginia, lives over in Lynchburg, or did. I think he recently passed away. Uh, but he had, uh, you'll see all the experiences in his life. He, he, he believed that he couldn't actually use a gun to kill anyone. And so he said that he wasn't going to go and shoot anyone, but he would go because he didn't want anybody to go fight for him, that he wasn't willing to go get in the fight. And you can see all the drama of all of that. But, uh, and then they go and they're climbing up this big cliff and they're going and they're taking on the enemy in that place. And it's a devastating battle. And he's a medic. When everybody retreats off that hill, he stays up there. And he's going and he's pulling people over. And he's giving them, and he's turning them. And then he's letting them down off this cliff with a rope. His hands are getting worn. And he keeps going back and going back and going back. And as a matter of fact, when the commander comes to the tent and sees all these wounded people, he said, how did they get there? And, and they said, well, it, it's Private Doss. He, 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 he's getting them there. But when he was up on that hill, he said something that drove a nail into my heart as a Christian. I said, Lord, please let me have this same vision. He said, God, please let me get one more. And he got out and he got one more and one more and one more. The next day or the next week or whenever they were going back up, they had the whole invasion force waiting there to go. And the commander said, why haven't you attacked? You were supposed to attack. He said, we're waiting on Private Dolls. He's having a word with his God. And we aren't going anywhere without him and his God. When he put his New Testament back in his pocket and climbed, people followed. I pray that each one of us would be like Brother Dolls. You see, not only does that one more need you, but those around us need to be encouraged by you. See, God wants you to go. Go first to your knees. He wants you to go across the street, into your family, across to the people right around you. Uh, like that's the mission of your church here in Owasso. And all of Tulsa and all of... Oklahoma and beyond. But then he doesn't want you to forget about the people who have no chance. Three billion people will be born and they will live and they will die and never have the opportunity to hear the good news of John 3.16 unless we decide, we decide that we want to hear the words, good and faithful servant, and ask the Lord, empower us to go for one more, and one more, and one more. Father.